You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. I want you to remember that title screen there, Nehemiah Community Rebuilds. That's the, ser- the sermon series that we're uh, wrapping up right now. This isn't the last week, but I'll talk a little more about how we're ending it next week a, a little later. But as we've become more familiar with this, um, this amazing Old Testament story about Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall uh, over the last six weeks, you might have wondered a time or two, why isn't the, the series just called Nehemiah, The Walls Rebuilt? Uh, it is pretty explicitly a story about walls being rebuilt. And so what is this focus on community? Well, um, I, think that's, I think that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. We've certainly touched on it throughout all the weeks, but um, chapter seven of Nehemiah uh, is, is where we are today. And um, we're going to find out sort of why this is the name of this message series that we've been a part of. So first of all, let me talk to you a little bit about chapter seven of the book of Nehemiah. I want to give you a little glimpse into kind of what it's like here in the office when we, when we plan a, a sermon series. Uh, generally, what we'll do is the people who are going to speak in that series will get together and uh, we'll gather in Pastor Doug's office and uh, we will have read the the passages that we're going to preach on. And, you know, we'll talk about themes and, and sort of things that, you know, a direction we might want to go with the series. And I've got to tell you that there are times when you read the chapter that you're going to preach on and you go, uh-oh. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan said, uh, oh, I, I realize that I'm the one who, who gets to preach about money on Mother's Day. <laughs> Sounds like a fun, fun assignment, right? Congratulations. He kind of stuck with it. And Pastor Wes, when he preached on chapter three, he, he warned you about this big, long list in his chapter about how the, um, the way that the work was organized in the rebuilding of the wall. And I believe... His quote during the introduction to his message that day was, I hope you don't have lunch plans, right? Well, let me tell you, these clowns, they have nothing to complain about. Bunch of lightweight, crybaby, belly aching. I mean, come on. I know, I know. (laughs) So when I looked at chapter seven of Nehemiah, it became clear real quick that I drew the short straw. Let me just tell you. Listen to this. In verse six of chapter seven, Nehemiah begins with a list and it is a long list. It starts in verse six with a bunch of family names and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And on and on until you get to verse 68, where it says this, I am not making this up. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. That's a verse of the Bible. 6,720 donkeys? What are you going to do with that? 
It's a lot of donkeys. I looked back at chapter three, I wanna tell you, and nowhere in chapter three were they tallying up the livestock. Oh, there's 250, uh, there's 300. Oh man, this was tedious. And so let's read through all 60 plus verses together. Open your Bibles. We'll read. Okay, no, 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 no. We're not gonna read the list, okay? It's a, it's a census is what it is. The list in Nehemiah 7 is a census. And we're not gonna read it today, but I wanna tell you that in 30 plus years of studying and reading God's word, uh, one thing that I've learned, and in many ways it's probably taken me the whole 30 plus years to learn it, is that there probably is a reason for this big, long list to be in the Bible. There's probably a reason that it's in Scripture. It's probably there for a purpose. There was definitely a time really early in my walk with Jesus when I would come to a list like this and I would go, you know, and then I'd flip through until I could find an exciting story. Like, give me the giant getting slain by a slingshot-wielding shepherd. Like, that's the you know, compelling kind of stuff. If, if that is where you are today, if you are, are one who would come to a list like this and go, wow, how quick can I get through this? Let me just encourage you to, to take a risk and camp out for a little bit. Get your hands on some resources that can help you understand God's word in, in a new way. See it through a new Lens. I want to tell you that being willing to dive into these passages that at first blush look like there's nothing in them, uh, being willing to wade through those has deepened my faith and it has helped me understand and appreciate the story that is being told in scripture. And I think it would do the same for you. And so I want to encourage you to, to not just skip what may seem like challenging passages of scripture. And if you're intimidated by it, that's okay. I wanna just tell you that I'm intimidated by it too sometimes. There's some hard stuff to understand in God's word. And I know I've told you this before, but I want to say it again. Reach out to us, call us, email us. Our pastoral team would love to help you. We would love to walk with you. We would love to provide some resources to you that have helped us understand God's word a little better. And, and I'll tell you just the little secret that if you are willing to take me up on this and if you're willing to call and say, listen, I'll, I'm in you know, whatever chapter this is and whatever verse this is and, and I'm really struggling with it, there's a really good chance that I'm gonna flip to that chapter and verse and go, I'm really struggling with it too. And we're gonna learn together and we're gonna grow together and it'll be good for my own walk with Jesus. And so I want you, to, I seriously hope that you'll take me up on that. We'll, We'll journey with you and help you understand more about the story of God. So let's look at Nehemiah 7 together and see what we might learn today. Nehemiah 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built and I, Nehemiah, had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani charge over Jerusalem along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. 
While the gatekeepers are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint, the, uh, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their watch posts and others before their own houses. And in verse four, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. So if we go back to chapter six last week, this, this series has been a little unusual because we're just doing one chapter a week. You know, we started with chapter one and we've been through six weeks now and each week we've just camped in one chapter. And, and last week as Pastor Doug preached about chapter six, the rebuilding of the wall was complete. And one of the things that we talked about through the series was the opposition that comes when you do God's work. And, and when you read chapter six, what we see is that the opposition has looked at what Nehemiah and the Israelite people have done and said, with God's help, they have done a great thing. And the enemy is, is scared. The opposition is intimidated by the good work that has been done by Nehemiah and his people. Now, the, the wall, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the wall was a security measure. It's just real pr a practical thing for Jerusalem. It was, a, it was a thing to protect what was in the city. And once the security measure, once the wall was rebuilt, this passage that we just read tells us what Nehemiah does. He, he takes the final steps necessary to secure the city. He puts gates in place at certain places around the wall. He assigns guards and officials and priests to take their, uh, their positions in the city, their posts, and to stand guard in the city. And in verse four, Nehemiah explains that while Jerusalem was a large city, it was not heavily inhabited because when the Babylonians came and took some of uh, the Israelites into exile, they destroyed many of the homes. They destroyed much of the city. And so there weren't many places for people to live. And then in verse five, we get this magnificent opening line in, in verse five. Look at it with me. Then my God put into my mind to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who were the first to come back and I found the following written in it and then 63 verses, <laughs> right, of genealogy. But look at the beginning of verse five. Then my God put into my mind why on earth would God put into Nehemiah's mind to find this book, to read the genealogy, and then to do something with it? What If Nehemiah is right that God put it into his mind, then it, it probably is important, but why in the world does God want Nehemiah to do this? Okay, pause, all right, pause there. I wanna ask you a question. What does God put in your mind? What sort of things does God put in your mind? And when God puts something in your mind, what do you do with it? If God were to do something crazy, like say to you, hey, here's 63 verses of genealogy, read through it and see what you can figure out, would you, would you do it? Seems a little crazy. One of the questions people ask me in my pastoral role most often is, how do I know if it's God? How do I know if it's God? It's a great question. 
And if I'm just being real honest with you, there's times that I ask myself that question. How do I know if it's God? So I wanna just tell you, I'm on that journey with you. I wanna tell you some of the things that I've learned that might be pointers that could help help you know when it's God, help me know when it's God. And the first thing I would say is eliminate the things that clearly aren't God, right? There's some things that are just really clearly not God. If you are tempted to do something wrong and sinful, not God. If, If the thought that pops into your mind is one that benefits you and nobody else, not God. These are not the kind of things that God prompts people to do, self-centered kinds of things. So sometimes it's really easy to tell what is not God, but what about the other side? How do you know when it is God? Well, suppose that you have something come into your mind that is to do something kind for someone to do something generous for someone else, for your community, for uh, someone ar- around you. Here is the, the bottom line. We could probably argue about it, but I can't tell you for sure that that's God. Now, I could say that I think that based on what I know of God, that that probably is the leading of the spirit in your life. But if you were to ar- make that argument with me and say, I'm not sure if it's God, let me tell you what you do know is that if you do it, what's it gonna hurt? If God has you, if something comes into your mind that is to do something kind for someone and you do it, what's it gonna hurt? You don't have to say God told me to do it. In fact, I'd encourage you maybe not to say that unless you know for sure that God did. I would do like Nike and just do it, you know? This is, this is the critical thing I want you to hear. If if you are willing to do these sorts of things, when, when something comes to mind to do something kind for someone else, if you're willing to do it, you will grow more and more familiar with what the sound of God's voice is. I really believe this. You'll grow more and more familiar with the sound of his voice and you won't have to ask the question as often, is that God? If you will respond obediently, you will recognize his voice more easily. And Sadly, the inverse of that is true too. If you regularly ignore the prompting of God to do something kind for someone else, to uh, respond to the conviction in your heart, whatever it might be, if you regularly ignore it, you will become more likely to miss it when it clearly is God, when God is the one who is speaking to you to ask you to do something. All right, back to the text. Why in the world would God put in Nehemiah's mind to read and uh, process this genealogy book, the original 23andMe? That's what Nehemiah is looking at right here. It's the, it's the DNA sampling of the old Israelite people. And go through this list to, to use it to repopulate Jerusalem. Why would God ask Nehemiah to do this? Well, to answer that question, we gotta talk about something that we talk about every time I preach that y'all are so sick of hearing me talk about, but we're gonna talk about it again, and it's context. We've got to ask questions about context. What else is happening in the text 
What happened before this? What's going to happen after? What is going on in the culture? What else is happening in this text that we might not be aware of if we just read Nehemiah 7? And the answer to that in this case is a lot. There's a lot happening in this. Now, I want to I just teach you some of the things that are happening. This is so exciting. I love this kind of stuff. So the book of the Bible right before Nehemiah is the book of Ezra. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are paired together by design. They tell a very continuous story. They tell one saga. It's not really that long, but it's a long story with several episodes or chapters that go throughout the story. If you, if you look for Bible resources about the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find resources that say Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. The stories go together. They tell one continuous narrative. And, and the first episode, the first chapter in the narrative is the rebuilding of the temple. So if you go back to the beginning of the book of Ezra, the, the first story that you see, the first chapter is really the restoration of the temple. And then if you continue through the book of Ezra, in the latter part of the book of Ezra is the restoration of the law. See, when the people were in exile, they had stopped using the law of God as the guiding principle, the framework for their community and their lives. And the, the law needed to be restored. And so as people are repopulating the area, the law had to be restored. And so the, the restoration of the law is the second uh, episode in this narrative. The third episode in the narrative is the one that we've been talking about for the last six weeks. It's the rebuilding of the wall. Now, if you were to flip back in your Bible to Ezra chapter two, right at the beginning of the story of the reconstruction of the temple, if you flip back to Ezra two, do you know what you would find? The same list. There's some Bible scholars in here. You'd find the same list as we're talking about in Nehemiah chapter seven. The same list from verse two through verse 67, the same list, like a couple of spelling differences is almost it. Even the animals, the daggone donkeys are in Ezra two. They're still there. It's all there. And so now we don't just have this list once. We've got it twice in God's word. We've got this big, long list two times in the Bible. It, it provides bookends to this amazing story, this incredible narrative that Ezra and Nehemiah are telling. Folks, this list matters. It's not in God's word twice by accident. And so in Ezra 2, the purpose of the list is to name the people who had been in exile, but who had decided to return to the region. The people who had been in exile, but had decided to return to the region. What these people were saying was our identity as the people of God is the most important thing to us. We may not have been faithful covenant keepers before. Our, our ancestors may not have done everything right, but we are ready to live into our destiny as the covenanted people of God. And the importance of the list in Ezra 2 is how it ties the current community of faith, those Israelite people, to the community of faith 
that preceded them. The families named on this list are families that inhabited the city of Jerusalem, a strategic city in the building of God's kingdom. These are the families of the people of God. There's a continuity, there's a thread that ties them together with this new generation that is returning to Judah, to the region where Jerusalem is being rebuilt. Now, I want you to catch this important part. The list in Ezra 2 ties the present community to the past and specifically to the pre-exilic past. The, the list in Ezra 2 ties the current generation of Israelites to the people God redeemed before the exile. And so if, if we've got the list in Ezra 2 as this one bookend that looks back and ties the community to the past, why do we need the list in Nehemiah 7? Well, on the other end of the, of the story, Nehemiah turns his focus the other way. He turns his attention to the future. Ezra established that the people on this list are the descendants of those who inhabited Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is now taking the same list and using it to invite these people, these families, to repopulate the city. What Nehemiah is saying is if this list of people will now come and take up residence in Jerusalem like their ancestors did and will continue with their lives, get jobs and marry one another and have children and, and have thousands of donkeys for some reason, if these people will just move back into Jerusalem and live there like their ancestors did, then our story gets to go on. The line, the thread gets to continue. The story of the people of God goes on. The text is clearly concerned with identifying God's people and telling their story of continuity from generations before the exile through the period of exile to the time when people are beginning to say, maybe, maybe we ought to go home. And Nehemiah then turns it to the future and asks, what does the future hold for your children and for your descendants? And so if we read the list today through the lens of Ezra 2, here is the question for us to reflect on. Who are your spiritual ancestors? Who are the people whose testimony, whose faithfulness, whose obedience have helped you become the person you are today? Who, who are the people whose story you want to continue? And if that's, the, if that's the Ezra lens where we look back, then the question that is prompted by the Nehemiah lens is this. Are you willing to help repopulate the kingdom? Do you want to take the thread of the people of God that goes back thousands of years and carry it on? I, I hope you do. I hope we can together.
do that. In chapter three, we saw that it took the unified vision and effort of the people to reconstruct the wall. If you go back and read chapter three, or if you remember when Pastor West preached about it, it was family after family after family working next to one another to build what had to be built for their community. And friends, I want to, I want to say to you today that everyone who is part of this worshiping community, everyone who is part of this community is carrying bricks and mortar for the wall. And if I'm right that, that every one of you has something to offer, that every one of you has something that we need, and I think I'm right, every one of you has something that we need, if that is right, then if you are not willing to put your bricks in place, then our wall isn't all it could be. Our wall is weaker than it should be if you aren't willing to bring your bricks and your mortar and to do the work. Now, I don't know what your bricks are, but I know that we are building God's kingdom together and you have things that we need to build God's kingdom. And we want our wall to be all that it can be. And for it to be all that it can be, we need your bricks. I mentioned earlier about the narrative that these two books of the Bible are telling, the different episodes throughout the books, the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of the law, and the reconstruction of the wall. But when the wall is finished, the story is not over. The finishing of the wall is not the completion of the story. When the temple was restored and the law was restored, and the wall was restored, the worshiping community came home. And if we were to continue reading through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you would find that the rest of the story is focused on the reestablishment of the community, the people of God. You see, the story isn't about building a wall. And that's why the, the series isn't titled The Walls Are Rebuilt. The story is about a community's covenant relationship with its God being made new. That's what the story's about. And that's why the title of the series is A Community Rebuilds. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Throughout this time together, throughout this message this morning, I have asked several questions. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to repeat these questions and invite you to ask God which one you might need to reflect on. Which of these questions might you need to spend some time on today or this week? Here are the questions. First, what kind of things does God put in your mind? And what do you do when God puts something in your mind? Who are the people whose story you want to live on? Whose story you want to help continue? Are you willing to help repopulate the kingdom? 
And what are you doing with your bricks? Finally, have we been faithful covenant keepers? And if not, is it time for our own covenant relationship with God to be made new again? Lord God, we have been humbled today. God, I am, I am humbled that a, a passage of scripture that I, I looked at and thought, oh, I'm humbled how much I've learned from it and from you. And I thank you for what you have taught me. And I pray you would, you would help me to, to stretch and to grow and to become more like you as a result of it. God, we pray for the kingdom that is being built around us. The, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, this is the cry of our hearts, that your kingdom would come. But without everybody's bricks, the kingdom can't come the way you want it to come. And so God, as we, as we build your kingdom together, Speak to us about what our bricks are and what you would have us to do with them. And God, make us obedient. Break our will and, and align us with you. The, the song that we sang is the song that is true. Take my life and let it be consecrated. That means you get my bricks, God. And whatever we're building together, I will help. I will participate. I will do my part to secure your kingdom. God, on behalf of the community, we, we ask forgiveness for the moments when we have not been faithful to the covenant. And we pray that you would inspire us to greater obedience and the reminder that for you, to obey is greater than sacrifice. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray that we would be shaped and molded and changed by the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Before you go, I wanna just tell you that um, this is the last chapter of Nehemiah that we're discussing. But next week, we're gonna tell the story in, uh, in kind of a creative way. It's a family weekend and I don't think you're gonna wanna miss it. There's gonna be some exciting stories for you to hear as we talk about the wall and the community being rebuilt. So join us next week. Thanks so much for being here today. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.